Lord, how often do I have to forgive a believer who wrongs me? Seven times? Jesus answered him, I tell you, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. That is why the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to do this, a servant who owed him millions of dollars was brought to him. Because he could not pay off the debt, the master ordered him, his wife, his children, and all that he had to be sold to pay off the account. Then the servant fell at his master's feet and said, be patient with me and I will repay everything. The master felt sorry for his servant, freed him and canceled his debt. But when that servant went away, he found another servant who owed him hundreds of dollars. He grabbed the servant he found and began to choke him. Pay what you owe, he said. Then that other servant fell at his feet and begged him, be patient with me and I will repay you. But he refused. Instead, he turned away and had that servant put into prison until he would repay what he owed. The other servants who worked with him saw what had happened and felt very sad. They told their master the whole story. Then his master sent for him and said to him, you evil servant, I canceled your entire debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have treated the other servant as mercifully as I treated you? His master was so angry that he handed him over to the torturers until he would repay everything that he owed. That is what my Father in heaven will do to you if each of you does not sincerely forgive other believers. Jesus, as we sit with that today and dig into grace in the light of forgiveness, we, we ask you to help us to trust, to surrender, to lean into the hard things that you lay out for us that are so radically different than what we know as normal. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it will come alive in the hearts of each and every person. And I thank you for every person that's here that will hear your words in your heart and not mine. God, I thank you for what you're going to do today in the hearts of each and every person here, bringing healing and freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to K2 this morning. My name is Tammy Holm, and I'm part of the teaching team here at K2. Thanks for being with us. We are just ending our, se- or our last series called Behind Closed Doors, where we looked at our lives much like a house and invited Jesus into all the different rooms, the places that we maybe hadn't let him fully into, and looked at what does God's word say about those areas of our life. And now that we're launching the new series, Radical, we are looking at how do we engage the life that Christ showed? How do we engage that? And newsflash, much of what we see when we engage the life of Christ that is normal to us as humans and our humanity is usually summed up in a word that we call radical when we live it out the way God shows us in his word. So we are going to look at today the subject of grace, that word, grace. And as I say that word, I'm sure as many people as we have here, you have thought of your own picture, understanding, or definition. So there's two things that we are going to answer today, two questions. The first is, what is grace? 
And the second is what is so amazing about grace. And it feels like the only right spot to start would be to get us all on the same page of what is grace. And we're going to look at a Greek word, which the Greek word is charis, which is C-H-A-R-I-S. And that's where we get our word grace from in English. And the definition that we're talking about today is one that as I sat with it, it was challenging to really be honest with myself and look at this. The definition for it is undeserving forgiveness from God. That's, that's the definition. So when we say grace, what are we talking about? We are talking about undeserving forgiveness from God. And I heard a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many of you history buffs probably already know who he is and what he did, amazing life. This quote sums up where we're starting today. Cheap grace is grace without the cross, without Jesus. And as we start in looking at what is grace, undeserving forgiveness from God, we have to start at the cross. I like to say the birthplace of grace. And we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 14. So if you have your Kitu app open, you can open it up and follow along in the sermon notes or open up your Bible. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. It says, you were spiritually dead because of your sins, because you were not free from the power of your sinful self. But God gave you a new life together with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Because we broke God's law, we owed a debt, a debt that had listed all the rules we had failed to follow. But God forgave us of that debt. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. And so if grace has been poured out over us, it is in the state that we were in undeserving. We had a debt that was owed. We were in the wrong. And I know that as we all identify with our humanity, we know in ourselves we are unlovely, broken people in desperate need. And I'm sure if you have been around church for any length of time, you've heard this a million times, but this scripture is powerful and takes us back to the birthplace of grace, which is the cross, Romans 5, 8. But Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And by this, God showed us how much he loves us. So if we think that at the, at the cross, everything was taken, nailed to radically, not because we had shown that we were worthy, radically different. We were unworthy. But the act of Jesus dying on the cross, taking it all while we were in our brokenness and didn't deserve it, he took it on the cross. Undeserving forgiveness from God was given to express that second part of the verse, God's love not only to us, 
but to all that were watching that didn't deserve it. It was God's character that was shown by that act of creating grace that was undeserving forgiveness from God to each and every one of us. And I can't help but think that that is the reason that we can think that grace is amazing and gets that amazing grace, the song, the words. It's because of Christ dying on the cross. And without that, any grace we could possibly know in this world is cheapened. It's because of the cross and that exchange that happened that we get amazing, radical grace. Because for us in our humanity, doesn't understand that naturally. In Jesus' example on the cross, taking all the sin, all of our darkness, all of the weight, he demonstrated the gospel in the way of showing the gospel is hard. I would love to get up and tell funny stories somehow about forgiveness and superficial things that we deal with in our life, but the fact is, is that forgiveness and talking about unforgiveness and not des- people not deserving forgiveness, it's a little hard, it's painful. But as we look at the example that Jesus on the cross showed us, he looked undeserving debt, sin, and darkness in the eye and he leaned into it to express the character of God that was being shown in how much he loved us. In the story that we we got to hear Jordan read this morning, it's heavy, but we're gonna read it again and think about the aspects of forgiveness and undeserving forgiveness that God gives us. So go with me to Matthew 18, 21. We're gonna read through this story of Peter who was one of Jesus' disciples, close friend, disciple, a follower. He was with him all the time. And I can't help to put myself thinking if I was in his shoes or what was he thinking? He kind of asked Jesus a question. Either he thought he was spot on with his answer or maybe he was just like pulling something out of his hat, right? That he asks a question that I think that I have asked a lot. Really, God, how much is enough? How much forgiveness is enough? In the pain of someone hurting you over and over or very deep wounds, how much is enough? And so here Peter gets the nerve up I like, I like this version because it says he gets the nerve up to ask. Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square his accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt 
of $100,000. And I realize I didn't have dollars there, but you get the point, right? This is so you can understand. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, his children, his goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. Pause there. In any sense of the word, this man was in the wrong. He had run up a debt he could not pay, and he was about to lose everything. He wasn't about to lose just his job. He was going to lose his family, everything. It goes on 26 to say, The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet, begged, Give me a chance. I will pay it back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing all his debt. He erased it. And this is where it's interesting. Imagine the feeling of being at the line where you are losing it all. With a snap of someone's fingers, you are losing your life, your family, everything you cared about. And you knew you deserved it. And you have that erased, you have your life back, and you walk out the door. That's where this man was at. He walked out the door, and he was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him about $10, $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. Let's pause. How many times in our own life has that same attitude crept in about being forgiven and turning around to someone else and say, "Uh uh-uh, no way, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance, I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested, put in jail, his debt until his debt was paid. When the other servants saw what was going on, they were outraged. They brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled? to be merciful with your servant who asks for mercy. The king was furious. He put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you that doesn't unconditionally forgive anyone who asks for mercy. And I know that's heavy. I feel like mic drop heavy. Like, we got to sit with that. There is no... No way to skirt around the weight of what he's saying here. The power and the force of, if you want to say the water, if you want to picture grace as like a mighty rushing flood from the cross, there's no way to get around it, that it is so mighty that he's saying, if you don't stand in that, stand in that, you are doing something that God doesn't want. He wants you to experience grace in the way he designed it radically, which is so different than what we maybe know or in our nature, in our human nature, want to experience. So I'll give you a little picture. I'm a visual learner here, so I'm going to use a cup. You all know this cup very well. It's a great sign of Americana. Um, Right, you've been at a party somewhere, um, a potluck, a family gathering. 
So we're gonna pretend that this cup is your life, your heart, it's you. And God designed it in the way that this cup doesn't just have one purpose. And if we imagine it right now, just let's imagine it, it's just empty. And before we understand why grace is amazing at the cross and understand that Christ took everything, everything that we have done, all of the things that we were guilty of on the cross and let grace run all over it, all right? we realized how empty we really were. And if you have followed Christ or you've made that decision, you know the difference between feeling empty and feeling full. And if you're here today and you only feel empty, let this be the chance for you to experience what happened on the cross to fill your cup. So we all know that in discovering that we are empty, we find a thirst that we discover at the cross, that is where I'm gonna feel full. And when we say, yeah, I believe that. I believe that what was done on the cross was done for me. I believe it. I'm gonna, re- I- I'm gonna decide that that, yes. It's like you do at any good party, right? You say, okay, it's my cup. It's Tammy's. And our human nature is one of a two-year-old, right? Mine. This is mine. And I'm going to hold it. And I even experience some pretty awesome grace. I get a full cup. But what happens is it's only half of the picture of what grace really is. Okay? You have a full cup of water. And you are happy that you, you've been forgiven. It might be hard, but you've been forgiven. So imagine wandering a little bit from the source, and you are over here with your water. And if you've left water by your bedside for too long, you know what I mean. And like, it won't be that bad, and you taste it, and you're like, okay, it is that bad. It's been sitting. It's not fresh. It's stagnant. And what we can choose to do when we are away from the amazing part of grace, living in our own normal, that God didn't really intend for us to do, we decide that forgiveness is like, I can choose where I sprinkle. And you're getting forgiveness. You're not getting forgiveness. You're getting forgiveness. But it's my cup. And that's half the picture. It's a good part of the picture. We need to be filled with that grace that tells us we are forgiven. But Jesus is showing us that how it is created is radically different. God's design for forgiveness was that we stand at the foot of the cross, if you imagine a rushing river, filling our cup so it would overflow undeserving forgiveness from God out. The first part of it was receiving it. The second part was giving it away. 
not sprinkling it as we see humanly fit, because that would, that would feel pretty natural and realistic, wouldn't it? But what is radical is when you stand in that grace, that rushing, rushing water, and it spills out, and you can't control it, because it comes from God, and it expresses to everyone it hits, everyone it hits, all of the undeserving people, that's when we start to get the full picture of grace. That grace was not for those who are good enough, who have said sorry enough, who have apologized, who have said, I am sorry, I really hurt you, who have wounded us, who have come against us, but grace was for all that were undeserving and draw the circle around yourself included. That is touching a different way of thinking, isn't it? That is radical. That when God says, the picture, the fullness of grace is you receiving it and then you giving it away. Because like we read in Romans, it is to express to those who see it, experience it, and touch it how much God loves us. It's part of his character. And when his character is able to touch people who don't deserve it, that is miracle territory. It's not as we sprinkle as we see fit. Because there's something cheap about that kind of grace, isn't it? That we have somehow earned the right to get it. But the real point in the picture of grace is this, that there is no amazing grace without forgiveness. There's no amazing grace without forgiveness. Us receiving it and us giving it away. That is amazing grace. I've been reading all summer long uh, Brene Brown's books, which are completely amazing. She's a TED Talk um, speaker and a writer. Super challenging stuff. And she talked about a story in one of her books about talking with a church leader at her church, and he was telling her about um, counseling a couple who was, had gone through infidelity and saying that the pain and the shame of what had happened was probably too much, that they weren't going to make it. And she said, but how can you say that? Why? And he said this quote that brought goosebumps um, on my arms. In order for forgiveness to happen, something has to die. And if you choose to forgive, you must face pain. And I am not here saying that this is something you should do because you should, because it's the Christian thing to do. Don't do that. Don't cheapen what Jesus did on the cross and do it because you have to. If you, in order for forgiveness to happen, something has to die. And if you choose to forgive, you have to face pain. And that is something that a lot of us don't want to do. We don't want to face the pain. Um, So as I prepared for today, 
you a story that I had to share, and I have not wanted to share it. I would love to share something that would make you laugh and be funny, and this is not. It is super vulnerable. There is pain in forgiveness. There is so much hurt, and I'm not standing here saying that it is anything less than excruciating to extend forgiveness to people who have hurt you, wounded you, done something to you that was wrong. Um, I felt a lot of fear to share this story, but I felt the words of a song that I love um, give me some courage in saying I'm not a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And through this story of forgiveness, I really, I thought that I knew what it meant to be a child of God, but I, I think it, it showed me the full picture of grace. Um, I don't usually tell this story and have never told it publicly, so it's, excuse the tears and the shaky voice. Um, a few years ago, I probably faced the hardest, deepest wound I've ever faced um, in my life. And I was an adult, obviously, um, but my parents divorced after 42 years of marriage. And it was in the wake of a very terrible um, infidelity and affair. Um, and to say it was like a bomb being thrown into our family and tore it apart, yes, that's a pretty accurate picture. I felt like there were no broken pieces. There were only shattered shards left in my heart with trust, feeling betrayed and abandoned, and many things in that. If I'm gonna be completely honest, the pain was so intense in dealing with the shards of brokenness, felt overwhelming. I felt like I didn't have fortitude to get in the fullness of facing the pain and letting something die. So I did what we should do, I thought, and as I saw fit, I sprinkled some forgiveness, especially to my dad. Frink sprinkled just a little bit. Um, and last year I was at, uh, with a life coach doing a life plan and this was a big thing that we worked through, is forgiveness, what does it look like? And he really challenged me in seeing grace radically. Because I said, yeah, I've forgiven. I've forgiven. I've done that. He said, have you done that? Have you stood in the flood and seen all that are undeserving? Because what laid at the bottom of my stand, like what was, what was at the bottom was a lot of fear and fear to face the pain because I'm not going to stand up here and jerk your chain and say that it doesn't hurt terribly to forgive people who have wounded you, betrayed you, abandoned you, whatever, put whatever in there. It hurts, and it's a dark place 
It's a dark place to be. And he challenged me to say, well, if you have forgiven, you're gonna need, you're gonna need to say it. And I felt a stop that I didn't wanna say it. And he said, well, I'm challenging you. Why don't you wanna say it? And I said, I think it's because I feel like I'm giving a pass. Don't deserve a pass. Mm -mm. And he said, did you deserve a pass? I didn't deserve a pass. I really want to practice what I preach, but this is hard. And he challenged me to articulate my forgiveness to my dad. And in that, there were zero warm and fuzzies, zero desire. I am telling you, I can't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I just did it out of sheer will of choosing to face pain and forgive. And it was a decision that was very just, I'm going to do it. And it wasn't until I did it and much longer afterwards until I got to really see what letting something die, which mainly was outcome, what's gonna happen. I had to let the uh, happily ever after die as much as I would have wanted to, as much as other people wanted it to happen. I let die my expectations for myself, for other people and said, I am letting it die. It's gonna be different ever after. And it was in letting something die and facing that pain that I realized forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about my heart. I'm not giving anything to anyone but Christ and I am committing my heart to be healed. That's what I am doing. Um, I'm gonna share with you a video from Brene Brown, who I've been mentioning, and it's this balance between grace and fear, which maybe as a Christian you think is a little bit funny, weird. How can you think about fear and grace being together? We hear all about do not fear, do not fear, but there is a real pain in facing what we need to, people we need to forgive, forgiveness. How do we balance that fear with grace? And um, balancing that tension is tricky, especially when we're talking about forgiveness, but um, I hope this blesses you. You ask, what is grace? Um, if you look at that amazing African-American spiritual, amazing grace, what grace is, is that line. It's grace that taught my heart to fear. So when you say, are you afraid of the dark? Yeah, I am still afraid of the dark, but grace has taught my heart to fear. I know how to be afraid. I used to not know how to be afraid. Um, I used to, in fear, get perfect get controlling, get blaming, get mean, run. I would do anything I could do. Um, 
And I think that's a huge learning from Rising Strong is we don't know how to be afraid. And so I don't know that there are any teachers as capable as Grace when it comes to learning how to be in fear. Um, and Grace is not, again, the thing that makes you unafraid. It's the thing that whispers, you know how to be afraid, it's okay. You can be afraid. Because I've never done anything meaningful, and I can almost say nothing meaningful, in my career, or let me rephrase it, the most meaningful things I've ever done in my life, personally and professionally, have all been born of fear and vulnerability. Every talk I've given that was important, every book I've written, deciding to have kids, birthing those kids, raising those kids, it's all scary. Um, but Grace has taught my heart to fear. And where can you buy the courage to like walk into that fear? Can you get like a pill? Like a courage pill? Oh man, if you sold them, we could go in business together, yeah. No, no cha-ching, no, no courage pill. Yeah, sorry, there is no courage pill that we can pass out to, to make it any easier to lean into that. It's part of, it's part of the gospel. Looking at Jesus journey to the cross in that light that he faced head-on fear he faced it head-on and leaned into this the weight the discomfort the darkness and brokenness and from that god's character was shown to all that didn't deserve it that is why Grace is so amazing when it's radical in the way God intended it to be because it shows something that is not from our human nature. Because like Brene was saying, I don't know what your MO is, if it's to hide, to run, to ignore, to get revenge. Whatever it is, is our human nature when we face pain, when someone's wounded us, we armor up. It's not our nature usually to surrender in the light of surrendering the way God showed us through the life of Christ. And like she said, grace has taught my heart to fear. I had never thought of the words of that song like that. That in the hard things of whatever is rising up in your heart, as we talk about unforgiveness, Happy Sunday. Like, that's hard. I am not saying it's not hard. I am saying, yes, it is hard. Whatever it is that is rising up in your heart as you hear unforgiveness and giving out forgiveness to people who don't deserve it, that is experiencing the amazing grace because there is safety in being at the foot of the cross in that mighty rushing water that grace is that washes over us and through us people around us need to see god's nature they don't need to see us in our best attempts because that cheapens 
cheapens what Jesus did on the cross. I want you to hear today as we talk about forgiveness and giving forgiveness that what what God displayed through Jesus on the cross was forgiveness that sets us free. And what unforgiveness and those things that we carry and let weight us down and wound us and keep all of that hurt inside keeps us captive, holds us from experiencing the fullness of what God created and did for us through redemption. Forgiveness sets us free and it frees you to live the life, but you have to face, you have to face letting something die first. Surrendering. I hope that you hear my heart today and I am no way, shape, or form saying what was done to you was okay or someone gets a pass. That is not what I am saying. There is no way that forgiveness gives anyone a pass. But what it does is it commits your heart to Jesus for that healing work to start and freedom to begin. It's like a growing process. If you want to imagine a seed having to die in the ground in order to live, freedom is when you get to forgive, not because someone deserves it, or you're never gonna forgive if you wait for someone to deserve your forgiveness. You are laying it at the feet of Jesus and no one else. I want you to walk out of here today not remembering three great points to a message, (laughs) but I want you to have some truth in your heart and hopefully some healing as well. As I know, there is deep stuff hurting in people's hearts. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking, I will never forgive this. I'm I'm never gonna forgive myself, and that's this. So three things. Forgiveness has been poured out over us at the cross by Jesus. You have been forgiven. And if today that's your first time experiencing that, own it and say, yes, I receive that. The second is forgiveness is not only for me, but it's for all who don't deserve it. With the great measure of mercy that God displayed on the cross, we didn't deserve forgiveness. And he's saying, experience that. Experience forgiveness and give it away. That's the full picture of grace. The last one is we can experience resurrection life when we let something die. And that is counterintuitive to our human humanity and our nature to think. But when we let something die, that's where, that's where miracles can happen because people experience God's nature. Um, band, you can come on up. We're gonna do communion. And I want, as we take communion, 1 Corinthians talks about taking communion in a worthy manner. It says, check your heart. 
And so as we take communion, you're welcome to come down here to the front. We ha- and then up at the top, we have stations as well. And we are going to remember the precious and the radical sacrifice that birthed out grace over us, washes over us, and we're going to let some stuff die today. Whatever has come up in your heart, my prayer is that you talk with God, you pray, maybe you feel like you, you know what you need to do, who you need to talk to. But my prayer is that healing and freedom would come to you. So um, I'm just going to pray for us before we, before we do communion. God, we remember you. Remember your son Jesus that died on the cross and we take communion today in remembrance of you. Remember your body that was broken for us. Remember your blood that was shed so that grace would be that new agreement with you that covers us and is shown to everyone who didn't deserve it. That in the pain of your death, there is powerful resurrection in life. God, so I thank you that as we take communion, we check our hearts and we do so in a manner that in surrender, we, we feel healing start to come in our hearts. God, I thank you for healing. Thank you that we don't have to be stuck in darkness and pain and brokenness forever, but that there is life. I thank you for each and every person that's struggling today. Would you bring healing to them? God, I thank you for the opportunity to remember you in communion. In Jesus' name, amen.